Okay, we're in a study on the great I am. We've um, laid a foundation from the Old Testament and now we're dealing with the I am of the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. So let us pray. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity of coming into your presence. I thank you, Lord, for the students that are in class today and those who will watch it later um, by video means, Lord God. I pray that the soundness of your word, Lord God, will be rich in their hearts as well. God, I pray that you will teach us through your word. And as you teach us, Lord God, help us to be better ambassadors for you here on this earth. This is how we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the New Testament, Jesus describes himself in seven distinct manners, the first of which we will begin today to discuss. He describes himself as, I am the bread of life. He describes himself as, I am the light of the world. He describes himself as, I am the gate. He describes himself as, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the seventh way in which he describes himself is, I am the true vine. Now, our scripture base for all of these will be taken from principally the Gospel of John. There'll be selected verses between chapter 6 and chapter 15. So today we start on, I am the bread of life. Um, this is usually an interactive class, so for some of you who are online, you're going to have to probably jot down the questions I ask. I want, I never take in your answers, so it's quite, um, you're quite free to write the truth and how you feel about anything and then to, for us, by God's grace, to make our adjustments as we go on. So what, or perhaps a better question is, why does Jesus say that he is the bread of life? Um, if I were to say to you, I am the bread of life, it probably would mean nothing to you because you know that I have a limited time. And we think of bread, bread is usually better fresh. Hello? But for us, bread has an expiry date, huh? Right? So let's, let's discuss Jesus being the bread of life. The difference with him being the bread of life is he has no beginning, he has no end, and he remains fresh and up-to-date. He's more up-to-date than tomorrow's news. Isn't that amazing? But when I thought about the bread of life, of all the foods he could have described himself, why bread? I want answers now. Why do you think he described himself as the bread of life? Could it be that it's the one thing that everybody will need? Or it speaks to sustenance? It speaks to that whether you're rich or you're poor is a basic necessity? Hmm? Perhaps. 
So we will try to answer this question as we go forth in our study. I am the bread of life. So I'd like for us to, we're going to get there. We are really headed towards um, John 6, 35 to 48, which are our key verses for this study. But before we get there, I would like for us to look at the beginning of this chapter, John chapter 6. It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was in air. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the, the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is come into the world. Now we often refer to this um, segment as the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now this was an approximate figure given, but it was distinctly said that this was only counting the men that were present. So really and truly, more than 5,000 people were fed. Now, if we were to take a conservative measure, I would say it would have probably been more like 10,000 because probably two women to each man, and each woman, if she had children, might not have had just one child. So if you really think about it, 5,000 men were fed that day but perhaps the crowd was greater than 10,000. It would not be an exaggeration to get to that figure is what I want you to think about. Now, Jesus was often followed by large crowds. This was not a new thing for to this day only. 
But why was he followed by a, la a large crowd so often? For different reasons. Some were really genuinely interested in his teaching, which was new and different. And they saw it as being not like what Roddy Mon could say, powerful, but it was. It was. Huh? It was powerful and it was revolutionizing their lives on a daily basis. So they learned they, they yearned to learn and to change in the new environment with the new teaching. And that should be our same appetite to follow after the sincerity of the words of Jesus and then to incorporate the, what we've learned into our lives so that we can see what? What is the word to do? Transform us, huh? And conform us into the image of Christ. Yes? So let us think about that. But then there were other people who followed him, what? For the food? Then there were some who followed him for what? The miracles? To sign? They wanted to be in the know. They didn't want to hear it by way of third party or the news of what had happened. They wanted to be present to see with their own eyes and ears. Then there were others who were there really looking for a way to trip him up or to see if he was genuine and if he was constant and to see and then there were even the religious leaders who were there, what? To see if he was conforming to the scriptures. Yes? So there were a lot of people always around him, and there were a mixed reasons why they were there. Now, what is interesting is, even though it's listed as the feeding of the 5,000, this is the only miracle that is found in all four of the Gospels. Do you believe that? Now, I, it was interesting when I read the other accounts. The accounts indicate that the disciples wanted Jesus to dismiss the crowds because, one, it was getting late. Two, they were in a deserted place. Three, they needed to travel to the surrounding area in order to find food. And fourthly, the disciples said, let them go that they may buy food for themselves. So he, they wanted, the disciples wanted it to be the people, the individual's expense to feed themselves. In all uh, three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you read them later today, I'll, oh, let me just tell you where they are. Matthew 14, 13 to 21. Mark 6, 30 to 44, Luke 9, 12 to 17, and the one in John is the one we've just read, John 6, 1 to 13. Now the other three, not including John, but we see them, the disciples being the ones to make the suggestion to Jesus um, it's getting late, send these people away. Now, what is interesting is, the people should not have been there, because if you read, read, read at the beginning, it said he had removed himself from the people, but one account said the people saw where he was going and they ran ahead, so when he got there, they were already there. And the other account said, as Jesus saw them coming, he had compassion on them. One said, they looked like 
a bunch of sheep with no shepherd to guide them. So it was very interesting how they all gave the same account, but from a different slant, how they saw it. Not that it makes a conflict, because if you read them closely, the same details are there. Some, I like John's view for this particular thing because of where I want to get to in this. So, Jesus, though, as he was approached about sending them away to find their own food, Jesus shifted the responsibility to the 12 disciples to feed thousands of people on the spot with no shop in sight. They were in a deserted area. He said, you feed them. Hello? I said, okay. Okay, I must feed them. And you could imagine, they already um, left all to follow Jesus. And they're in his company. They eat when he eats. And there were times when he would teach them what? The taxes are due, pay the taxes. Where the money? Open that fish pot over there. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? So here they are like, Okay, they're used to him putting them on the spot. But they saying, there are 5,000 men, they just eat plenty, men just eat plenty. And 5,000 of the men, not counting the children who we want to feed first. And you understand what, where will you be if Jesus said to you, and you were one of those disciples, you go feed them. Guess what? He's still telling me and you, go feed them. I think you ought to be grateful you don't have the 5,000 men looking at you. Huh? I don't think he said it easy, you know. I don't think he said it easy. So John's report differs a little bit. He did not indicate that it was the disciples who had suggested to send the crowd away hungry. And that's what the disciples did. He wanted them to get out before they start fainting and falling out because they were hungry, it was thirsty. There was grass, it said, but it didn't say it was shade. And these people would have traveled by foot and had been traveling all day. And they would, if you read some accounts, it said, but they were hungry for the teachings so they just sat and listened. They didn't want to miss anything. So how does John relate it? John had gave, gave us a little more of a detail, he said it kind of went like this. He related that Jesus had a conversation with Philip, one of the disciples, about purchasing food to feed the crowd. That's how Philip got to answer him about the money not being enough. Yes? So he said to, to feed the crowd. So at least two disciples heard Jesus give this command. Why do I say that? Because he spoke to Philip and Philip answered him. But it also said, Andrew went through the crowd to search for who had what among this big crowd. So at least Andrew and Philip heard the instructions. Okay, so Jesus to me, the compassionate Jesus is concerned about the crowd. He's concerned of them not only being hungry, 
but the responsibility of who would feed them. They were in this company to hear him teach, to see him do the miracles. Yes? This is not the first time that the disciples got it wrong, you know. You remember when the little children wanted to come to Jesus and they shoo him away. God doesn't have, Jesus don't have no time for little children. And Jesus had to stop ministering to the adults. And he took up what? A child and put it on his lap and says, of such are the kingdom of God. They are valuable to me. When we are in a position to train, teach, or touch a child in the name of the Lord, it's a privilege and it's one that God honors because he is concerned about children as well as adults. So um, our ministries that are connected with children, we should spare no effort to communicate clearly to them with whatever means necessary, the truth of God and Jesus and his concern and his love for them. It should not be, okay, let's spend it all on the adults and make do or um, let's shake that off, brush that off and use that for the children. That was not Jesus' heart towards children and ministering to children. So Philip's response seemed to indicate that they won't have enough money to take on the project. He literally stated that if he had taken two-thirds of, of an annual salary of a field laborer, that it would not put a dent into giving them enough to get bread for this large a crowd. So if only one denarius, denarius was, the, was what the wage was for a day, and there's 365 days, just assuming that they were going to work every day for the year, which we know they didn't. That was, he was saying, 200 out of the 365 days worth of, of money would not have done anything for this larger crowd. Of course, probably none of them had even the 200 denarii right there, okay? So, let's note that despite all the miracles that Philip had seen since he had left his own business and joined Jesus' band, he did not seem at that moment to say, well, Jesus, this money ain't enough, but we know you could do something about this. That didn't even enter the picture. All he saw was a limitation that we don't have enough. He was in the presence of the God who is more than enough. And he tells them, this money ain't enough. And why am I saying this? Because I want this to sink into your hearts and into your spirits. That sometimes it's not what is on your bank account. Sometimes it's not what's in your wallet. Sometimes it's not how short you are of your goal. What we must not lose sight of is who we are connected to, the God that we trust, who is able to do something about our situation no matter how dire or extreme they may look. So are you and I much different from Philip? 
When we are faced with a financial challenge, do we show full confidence in God? Or do we only show confidence in God when the figures are comfortably charted on the positive side of the equation? Come on now, let's be honest. We like it to balance. Huh? We like it to be balanced that I can do this and have more left over. We don't want to be staring at any situation at a deficit, and we know it. Hmm? But we're going to learn through this same, as we study the bread of life that Jesus is, that whatever we need, just like how you need bread to be sustained in your physical, he is the bread of life for you in every situation. He will make sure that you are sustained. That's what, why we eat the bread, eh? To be sustained. So, are we like Philip or put another way, can we rest that in spite of the calculations or the facts that are on the calculators, that we can trust God to be a provider who is always on time. Guess what? The time that you need it the most is going to be there. You may think it should have, this, this should have been paid last Friday, Monday coming, and I didn't want the bank calling me first. La, la, ray, ray. And secondly, and more importantly, can we... Can God trust us? This is the question. Can God trust us to make wise decisions with the funds that he provides? We don't think about that part. We only want him to do the provision. How are we going to manage what he provides us with? That's how we should do the check and balance. Are we prayerful? Are we grateful? then God, what is the priority in this? Yes, we know, we've been in church long enough, we know the tides come out first. Just, just a little reminder, when you spend the 10% that belongs to God, the, the 100% don't do what the 90% could have done. Hmm? Don't make sense in the natural, because 100% is more than 90%. But when you use what belongs to God, you almost invite destruction to the 100% that you care. There's no bill that's important enough for you to not pay the tithes and do the love offering. God will always make sure that you have bread. And guess what? Your bread will always be fresh if you are connected to, to being obedient to his word, first and foremost. Okay? So... Um, I want us to keep that in mind. He is the bread of life. Now, I'm going to ask some questions. You're going to, sorry, you don't have your notes with you. So you jot this question down. You can answer it if it flows from you now or think about it later. Have you ever put this type of limit on God that Philip did? Hmm? I want you to think about it. And figure out how recent was it. Because maybe you did it 10 years ago, but now you have revelation and now you wouldn't, you wouldn't limit God. 
you, you, you stop, you're taking the limits off God, you know, see him in a limited way anymore. And so I want you to answer, have you ever put this type of limit on God? How recent was it and why did you put the limit on? Okay? The next question is, what intervention did you take to move beyond that mindset that caused you to have God, a God with limitations? Third question, do you see the limit as a lack of faith in God? Or for some people, they think that they are dictating to God. Now, you know God is all-knowing. He knows what you have need of even before you ask, because there's nothing he does not know. Part of his character is he's omniscient, huh? He's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omniscient, all-knowing, and he's omnipresent, always present, okay? So we, we need to think about, we're not informing him. We're not informing him that the calculator balance look a little circumspect. Hmm? We're not informing him. And then, what we need to know is when we're looking at the calculator, everything that we can see, he created, he made. And he holds everything. And he's the one who pulls the stops. Hmm? You depend on him for the very breath that you breathe. And so is your creditors. Hmm? So are we feeling that we're the... We'll rather be on the side of timid faith because we don't want to be overbearing thing that we we presumptuous or we're dictating to God. Now, when we ask God to meet a need, we have one problem sometimes we run into. We want to tell God how you're out of order. <laughs> Oh, me? Anybody ever guilty? <laughs> if, if you know what this yes, how to meet your needs. You're attempting to box God in. You're telling God you operate in this sphere, you know? And the bank, the bank closing 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, Lord, you know? Mm -hmm. Then we're giving him time frames. Yes, I have this in my notes. And the fourth one is we give God terms and conditions. That's what we call brassy. Hmm? God, if you do this, I will dot, dot, dot. Help us, Lord Jesus. So true, huh? So here's my, I want you to write this particular statement down. The next time we are tempted to behave like this, 
we should take a step back and, re and realize who is all ultimately in charge, you and I or Almighty God. The you and I or Almighty God needs to be underlined or highlighted because we're not the person in charge. Hmm? So in the portion we read in John, chapter 6, verse 8 said, uh, Andrew had a different outlook than Philip. Philip just said, look here, if we had two-thirds of a man's salary, we couldn't buy enough bread. The annual salary, two-thirds of the annual salary of one person couldn't buy enough bread for this bigger crowd. He just stopped there. The money ain't enough, so the bread ain't can't get bought. Right? So Andrew in the meanwhile is going through the crowd suffering to see that some people have bread that they wouldn't need, I guess. You, you would only have to buy for those who don't. He's doing an investigation. But he comes up and he finds in this big crowd of people, that's why I said children were there. Because the lunch of one boy, at least one child was there. He was encountered in the 5,000 men. Remember I said there had to be some women and children around, right? So having, in fact, I think the men got there because of the women. Yeah, they come, let's go. They, they were dragging, huh? Some of them wasn't as nosy as we would have been. To, to be, and they didn't want to be told in case they didn't bring the story straight. So they, they came to, to validate They found one boy with five barley loaves and two small fish. Then he remarks, he said, this is what we found. And then he put a B-U-T. Make it bold. But. He had a but. What is, what is that among so many? So one said, our money is limited. And another one says, there's some sustenance here. But for the need, is so much greater. This isn't even a drop in the bucket. We can't even start with this. I want you to know that God could start with a little. And when God touches a little, it has the ability to continue to give until the need is completely met. We can read this over and over in the scripture, but I want us to get into the habit of not leaving it in the scripture. Sometimes it's like it's relegated to our Sunday school recollection that he did that then. Hmm? He came through for David then, when David was up against the fight of his life against Goliath. That same God is with you in your fight, no matter what your Goliath looks like. He may not be nine feet tall, hmm? but he has the same power to take out the giants in our lives. So let us know that this boy's mother had made some advanced preparations for her son. Even though she was poor, how do we know that she was poor?
She didn't have garlic bread. She didn't have a certain type of bread. Barley bread was the most primitive, most basic of needs of a category of the bread. It told you that this came from a poor family. Now you have all kind of breads on the market today. Um, the sesame bun to this. Name me some breads. When they say they see killed bread, when they say, um, um, I can't even remember. Something with pumpkin breads. There's so many different types of bread. But when the scripture speaks about barley bread being the bread, that was from the poorest of the poor family. We would say that while you have in, um, Roman meat bread or something or yeah you would you would be thinking of this person as maybe turning over a pancake or something that would be the comparison and you know the person who's going to eat a pancake in the middle of the school day will be hiding to eat that where nobody else see it this if you can see the comparison I'm trying to bring to you so the barley loaves were, were an inexpensive food, and it was the staple of the poor and the common folk. So, can you recall a time where there was a great need beyond what you were able to fill personally, yet your posture was, but God? You know, we didn't know we have enough money. We didn't know the bread that they found was not enough. And then you turn around and say, what? What? That's the time when you have to say, God, show up now. But they say, but what is this? Among so many. May God help us to use these lessons to drastically change. Because our but should be, this is little, but this ain't nothing for God. That's what the but should be but with God's help or with God's guidance or God is going to come through. Let the but be a positive but, not a but. What is this about so many? He like almost canceled out even finding that. Eh? It would have been better that he didn't say he found that. So it is time for us to trust God fully if we truly believe there's nothing he cannot do and additionally that he knows what is best for us. I let you write my favorite scripture down, which is Luke 1 and 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And most time I don't say nothing. I said no thing. No thing shall be impossible. So Jesus instructs them. He, he heard Philip I want to suggest probably go back to the scripture as I read it. Let me pick up the verse. I think it would have been in about um, verse 6. Let's go to verse 5 and 6. Then Jesus lifted up his, his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? He didn't have any question whether they were going to eat. 
Listen, look at verse 6. For this he said, what? What does your Bible say? To test him? Yeah. For this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. So while you're in there counting the money and saying it's short, and the other one finding the food and say, but what is this among so many? Jesus have you only on a test. He's, he already has the plan. He knew what he would do, but he was just putting the disciples to a test. Some tests we are prepared for and some we're not prepared for. But the master teacher is putting the student to a test. But it says he already knew how he was going to, how he was going to meet the need. He wasn't waiting for them to do it on basic money or from the sustenance in the crowd. He never intended that to be the way he would meet the need. We've read this over and over, but we've missed that one verse. That he was testing them. And that he knew what he would do. So when we read it, let's reread it and go back. It's amazing how the word of God can teach us through the same passage that hundreds of times we can read it. And we could go back and see just one word that makes a difference. He asks them, knowing the answers and knowing what he would do about it. So because he knew what he would do about it, here's what Jesus does. Jesus instructs them to have the people take a seat. And then he demonstrated something towards them. He took the loaves. And he gave thanks. Then he gave it back to the disciples, who in turn served the people. Now, the Bible did not say as he gave thanks that the bread turned into this large volume, a sea of food from one end to the next end. It did not say that. He gave thanks. And then he, he had how many disciples? Twelve. You remember he said to them, have them sit in companies of fifties. So they went with a piece of bread in their hand. And they continually kept giving to the, this one and that one. Till all in that company was served. And then they went with the same bread now. Why isn't the bread being used up? Wasn't it that the, the, Andrew already told you, but what is this among so many? Because God has already touched it. The God who is more than enough touched it. He gave thanks for it. And God had already created a miracle. They couldn't see it physically. Because they could just say, it's a buffet. Y'all come get all what you want. But God had them do it physically move to serve the people. And while they are serving, hmm? they keep breaking, they keep giving, 
They keep giving. They keep giving. Each of, 12 of them are giving. Remember the only five of Now, let's not, let me go back to one thing. I need to say this. These were not loaves of bread like what you and I would go in the food store for. A loaf of bread usually have about 22 slices. Could make 11 sandwiches. It wasn't a loaf of bread like that. These only equated to be the size of about a dinner roll. Hmm? It was the amount of what a man would have as a serving. Right? So here's, here's the problem. <laughs> Jesus said, feed them. And he said, it would be our response to feed them. And it says he did the same thing with the fish. So they didn't only have bread. They weren't choking on just bread. Hmm? They had the fish as well. The old people would say, the meat for the daddy, and who brought the food in. And when the food, when the meat wasn't enough, the children got gravy. The, the flavor of the meat, hello. But daddy had his food first. He didn't get pieces and, you know. Y'all ain't grow up in that day, right? <laughs> when the daddy food come out first. <laughs> And he would get the best or the choice piece of the meat, eh? Daddy didn't get the wing or the chicken. No. Okay, all right. Even if she served wings to y'all, okay? So here's what we need to learn from this very familiar scripture. The same thing was done to the fish, and we see that the crowd ate as much as they wanted. Because the, the word of God says, after the crowd was satisfied. Which means they did not have a communion sample of the bread. They had enough to fill them. But there were leftovers. How could there be leftovers for something that wasn't enough to share to begin with? But the Bible says he knew how he would make it happen. He, it was a test. So what did he say to them? He said, okay, everybody finish eating now. Remember they were supposed to eat, get to the next country, um, the surrounding cities to buy food. You say, no, you feed them. And then he says to them, now that you've served them, go behind and clear up the place. Get, collect the, 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 the leftovers. Now, this may be my thinking. I can't tell you I see this in the scripture, but I believe the 12 baskets were significant. Because I believe God made sure that each disciple had a basket to pick up the leftovers. Do you think they'll ever forget that? That they fed this many people today, and each one of them had a basket full of leftovers. The Bible distinctly says that there were 12 baskets of the leftovers after the people were satisfied. No, 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 they had no behemoths there. There was no, no foil to take away. <laughs> no foil to take away. <laughs> so, 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 this, this, this was just amazing to me that each one of them, perhaps he allowed them to, 
to take it home to their own families. I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell. But I think he allowed each one of them to be holding in their physical hand. After having served out of their hand a bread that had no end. Then the people ate and were totally satisfied. And then they had leftovers enough to pick up. Each one of them had a basket. You can't lose when you're connected to the God who is more than enough. When you're connected to the bread of life, you can't have shortage of bread. So I would like, before we go into the actual study of him being the bread of life, I'd like to take two more passages to show us a few things. Because it reminds us that God got bread to his people through various means at the right time. God is able, I'm doing this purposefully, so that when things don't look the way you need them to look with your physical eyes, the pictures that we paint and we receive from scriptures can speak faith to your heart to remind you that God's all-seeing eye know exactly where you are. He knows where you live. You don't have to remind him. Number 65, kill their drive. You ain't been by here a little while, Lord. A little short here. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So let's move to 1 Kings chapter 17. Verse 7 to 6, it says, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering couple, a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. Hello? That we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke 
by Elijah. Now, I'm not going to be able to do this, but I want you to list some things. This is put down in your notes. List some things that stood out to you in this passage of scripture. Now, for me, I'm going to move quickly. For me, I thought when I read this the first time and study, I'm like, this woman don't know Elijah and Elijah don't know this woman because he didn't say go to Sally's house. He said, there's a widow there. So he went there and the widow was there. But the widow means that her husband is dead and there's income has been altered. And then in those days, the men looked after the household. It wasn't no women working in two salary and splitting the responsibilities. The fact that it speaks of her son being young, that she was cooking for him, meant that he was what? A dependent, a minor, huh? So she had the sole responsibility of looking out. Most of the time, the widows were looked after by another, um, by the brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law would look after the widows or the church would look after the widows. So she was already someone who was having assistance. She wasn't on social services door, but essentially she was looking for to be provided for by others. And they were running a little slow on bringing it to her because she was down to her very last. Why didn't God send him to somebody who was rich and had means, who could have sustained him without no, um, not a second thought? Why send to the struggling widow? You know why? Because the widow needed that blessing more than Elijah needed her cake. So that was God's way of providing for the widow. Sorry, I gotta stop it. It's a bad place to stop because I just feel like going. <laughs> but God is gonna help us to get through it. So next week when you come, bring your list of the things that just jump out of you, out of this passage, and we pick up here next week in the will of the Lord. But there is fresh bread. There will always be bread for you from the I am the bread of life. God bless you.